Today on Health Talk, Bob and I are joined by wellness counselor Aaron Reishis as we interview Ann Basta for the second time, uh, a previous guest who actually was featured this week at Hilton Head Health to give a guest presentation and share her success story on how perception has empowered her um, into overcoming her journey to a 100 plus many more pound weight loss and um, it's just so great to see her again and to have her here, um, and I'm so excited for you all to hear uh, this next second podcast with Ann Basta. Enjoy. Health Talk Radio, brought to you by Hilton Head Health. Welcome to another episode of Health Talk, everyone. We have a return guest, Ann Basta, someone we talked to, I think, in January last, right? Yeah. Right eight or nine months ago, and Bob was there last time, but we also have a new uh, person with us this time. Well, not new person, but um, someone new joining our conversation with Anne, and that is Aaron Reishis, who is our wellness counselor. Hello, it's great to be here. Yeah. Um, I was also re-listening, Anne, to our previous podcast a little bit oh. uh, last night, and I realized that we ended it talking about how Bob didn't know what Smash Mouth was, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I still have not shown him. That's Smash Mouth, and I promised you I would show him. So after so this podcast, I'll, I'll show Bob what Smash Mouth is. <laughs> <with immediately. laughs> yeah. It's about time you know who Smash Mouth is. Do you know who Smash Mouth is? It's a band. It's a band. That's right. This needs to be addressed immediately. <laughs> it is, I just needed to get that off my chest. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, and you gave a really wonderful presentation to our guests here at Ace 3 earlier this yeah. week. It was, it was on the topic of perception. Yes. Um, and I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about how perception influences action. Um, it's very simple, actually. I think that the way we perceive the world is going to dictate how we behave. So if we perceive something as a threat, for example, you act based on that perception, even if you are wrong. So, you know, sometimes this happens in all kinds of scenarios with unfortunate results. And so in my personal case, I was viewing my food habits as some what of um I was in I was viewing it as that I was entitled to eat whatever I want whenever I wanted because I perceived that that behavior is acceptable because it comforts me and it gives me pleasure and why would I deny myself that it's food you know I'm not going to get drugs under the bridge or whatever you know I'm just going to Wawa or the grocery store and getting you know $40 worth of chips and chocolate there's nothing wrong with that in my mind, you know, so that was just my perception. And then I had to realize that this perception was getting me some really undesirable results. And it wasn't until those results were so much impeding my functioning in life, you know, that's how bad I had to let it get, that it was that next, you know, Twinkie Snickers was like, it, you know, that I'm not moving, I'm not getting out of my bed, I'm not doing anything, I'm not living at all. I'm just eating. And so I had to change my perception. And that's when all the other behaviors followed after that. Just simply seeing that this thing that I am doing has to stop. Perception. I like how you mentioned that once you shifted your perception all the other behaviors followed right after that. So how did you change your perception? 
I was forced to, unfortunately. I was really forced to. I really held on to that thought. I, you know, I said it in my presentation yesterday. I was going to be the one that ate McDonald's and smoked cigarettes and did nothing and was going to be the healthiest, fittest, you know, epitome of health. I don't know how I would do this. But, I mean, I said it yesterday. Like, I, I thought I'm going to intellectualize myself into that, you know? So... It's just that really my perception was so skewed, right? And so I just had to get, you know, faced with some really hard truths that I couldn't wiggle my way out of. I couldn't perceive them like this or like that. Sometimes you got like a cold, hard fact staring you in the face and there's no way to manipulate it. That's where I had to get in order to change. It was that cold, hard fact when you said you couldn't walk for three minutes. Was yeah. it more about the physical yeah. consequence at that point? Absolutely, because that's the one you cannot argue out of. You can't argue out of back pain or knee pain or being on an outing with your family and having to sit right away and they go enjoy the rest of the time without you. And then afterwards, you know, you think that this is like something that happened right before I came to Hilton Head, like the second time, you know, like two weeks before. We were in the city, I couldn't go, to, we went to the museum, I couldn't walk around at all, and feeling the normal guilt and shame, I sat there, I was like, you know what, I'm going to book tickets for a, a show in New York, since we're here anyway. I did that, and every my mom and brother were so happy, whatever, we get to the theater, we had to change the seats, because I couldn't fit in the seats, and then when the, I could fit in the ones that we finally found, I mean, I was very, very uncomfortable, very embarrassed. I, you know, so in the end, it was just time. It was time to do something different. What it was, I, I wasn't really sure, which is good because I'm usually so crazy about being in control. So, yeah, I came here and I was like, okay, guys, work this magic. Let's do that. Sprinkle some H3 on me. Let's let's go. <laughs> yeah. So, Aaron, listening to, to Anne talk about this, how much does this relate to guests that you see on a regular basis? Oh, gosh, yeah, very much so. I think I was just thinking as you were talking that the pain of staying the same has to outweigh the pain of change. And I find that when people get into that place, it's like a, a straw that breaks the camel's back. Is that the same? Yeah, <laughs> and, no, that's it. And where it becomes, okay, I'm, I'm ready. You mentioned this in your talk, which was excellent yesterday, about um, this readiness. It's really this readiness of change, which goes back to that perception, the mindset shift that happens. And there's something that just clicks for people. And I... I think sometimes people come here and there's not a readiness for it yet. Yet. I want to emphasize yet. Um, timing is everything, and I think sometimes we just kind of have to kind of, you know, you see circling the drain, kind of get into that place of, okay, um, I'm ready. And then really helping to find out, okay, why am I ready? Why now? And why is this important to me? I typically find, especially in this industry, weight loss for the sake of weight loss is never, <laughs> I shouldn't say never, it's rarely motivating enough outside of the quality of life reasons, which obviously is what you experienced. Yeah. Yeah. That was the thing that maybe struck me the most is that while it's always referred to as, as a weight loss, and sometimes it's a journey or a weight loss program, and clearly weight loss was an important <coughs> excuse me, byproduct, but the thing that I was so uh, kind of impressed with is how it's influenced your quality of life and what you can do. 
you know, there's some other people we've talked to about this too, and it's it's it, once it's kind of said and done, it's not about the pounds. And and the thing is sort of frustrating is it seems so much to be about the pounds in the beginning, and by the end it's not. And and so I guess that's a question. I, you know, we can't make people motivated. They have to become. You you, you came to your own place. Is there a way of just helping people shift from the numbers to the function, from the pounds to the quality of life that, that really is what I heard. You, you took a trip that you yeah. would never take <laughs> Oh, my God. Uh, there's another guy that we did on a podcast, and he hadn't been, he went to a rock concert. He hadn't done that in years. And, mm-hmm. and, it, and it was that that was exciting, not the X amount of pounds that he lost. I mean, they, they're a part of it, but that's not it. Well, okay, so this is this might sound a little bit harsh, but this is was my reality, okay? And so I started at 360 was my highest. I'm 5'2", by the way, just to give a reference point because, you know, that is not my weight range anywhere close. Okay, so um, after I lost 120 pounds, I'm not good at math, but I believe that puts me around what? Two forty. Two forty, right? Okay. At two forty, I had people ask me, "When am I going to start being, you know, super successful with my weight loss?" I mean, not because they're mean, not because they were trying to be insulting or any kind of thing. They didn't know that I was three sixty. They didn't know what I had already accomplished and done. So this frustration was something that I had to deal with a lot throughout this journey. Being actually, it was very ironic, being further ahead mentally than I was showing physically. Because even physically, I could do things that people at my weight couldn't do. I remember my second hike. It was the, the more challenging one. After I finished one, I was like climbing mountains and doing all this exciting stuff. And I went for my second one. And I wasn't sure where the entrance was to the trailhead. So there was a guy standing in the parking lot, and I was like, excuse me, you know, can you tell me where to get? And he was like, looks at me, and he's like, it's really steep, you know? You have to, like, climb, and it's steep. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I know. I'm like, wait, what? What do you think I'm here to do, buddy? And he he kind of shook me a little bit because I was already nervous about it. But he was like, you see that? You have to go up that. Like, he was really trying to tell me you are not the one for this, sweetheart. But I was like, okay, buddy, thank you, but where is the trailhead? So he's like, okay, it's down there. <laughs> Good luck to you, you know? I totally did that hike. Yeah, yeah like yeah. totally, <laughs> absolutely did that hike, you know? And it just goes to show you, he looked at me, and I don't blame him, really, you know? It's just what we're trained to think about overweight people, that this is their fault, that they did something very wrong to be like this, and I should not have any pity over them. And then there's like this weird stuff that's happening now where it's like to really compensate for that. It's like blown in a completely different proportion where it's like, you know, it's awesome to be fat and overweight. Like, no, it is not awesome to be fat and overweight. It's not awesome to ever hate your body at any point in the, in the game because it's yours, only yours. You have one of them. So always love yourself. But the answer is not to just, you know... If you can't beat them, join them. Like that—that that is not the mentality either. So I mean, 
it's just very complicated, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, if yeah. you become about the numbers, like, I have that, you know, people have opinions, right? Mm -hmm. And if I let those people's opinions dictate how this journey was going to unfold, that means it's their journey, not mine. But this is mine. So. Yeah. I mean, that kind of, I'm going to kind of skip forward to a different right, question. Right, right, right. <laughs> that kind of reminds me of something else you said in your presentation, and I think you even said it last time we spoke in the podcast, was it, you had to ask yourself, if no one else was watching, yeah. would mm -hmm. I still do this? Yeah. And you were able to come to the conclusion of yes. Obviously, you can't answer this question for everybody, but how did you come to the conclusion of yes? I, I honestly had to receive a couple of shocking commentaries. Look, I had a six-week period of complete isolation, which was very necessary, which was that visit to age three in the beginning. The first one. The second one. Oh, the, the second first one. Oh, yeah, visit, the sixth one. I was here for four and a half months. You want to talk about being ready? <laughs> no, glory. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter how much time and money you spend in a place that is, you know, pouring with, uh, like, resources to help you. It doesn't matter. You know, I gave the analogy, like, if you have tools in front of you, but you have no idea how to use them, they're useless. You know, so, okay, so after a couple of shocking, you know, commentary and having that safe zone where I really, like, cemented the idea that this is happening no matter what, no matter what. Even if I have to move to another state, even if I have to, you know, not leave my house, be on pure house arrest, you know, no matter what. So after that point, even when I wanted to eat something that I didn't want to eat or, you know, shouldn't, less than ideal, whatever the case, or I didn't want to, you know, go work out, which didn't usually happen. But even if it did, I would say, you know, why not? Why don't you? Right? Like, is it because that person made you sad or, you know, you feel discouraged or, you know? And so I had to just always bring it back to me. And in terms of food choices, right, if I get really confused in the brain, like in ma maximum overload, and I'm like, oh, God, I don't know which choice to make, I go with which one of these items has the least ingredients? Like your food should be ingredients, not have ingredients, like that kind of thing. So I'll just go with healthy, healthy. Because if I worried about calories, which one's going to make me less fat? Because <laughs> that was really the question. Which one's going to make me less fat? But now it's which one's going to nourish my body? Make and fuel me to do cartwheels, right? <laughs> you did three, by the way, yesterday. Three cartwheels, yes. Among other things. Among other things, yeah. <laughs> so it just has to be about you. Only then can you move forward, because people are so mean. <laughs> and they don't mean to be. You know, they're trying to be encouraging. Keep it up. Oh, Lord. I, I, I took keep it up kind of hard in the beginning. <laughs> I always took it as to be like, oh, my God, please don't think you're done. <laughs> like, keep going and lose more weight, because... Mm -hmm. You have not <laughs> reached your goal yet. You look better than before, but like that kind of thing. Interesting. And that kind of ties into perception a little bit as well. Yeah. Because because in that case, it could be that they're really just trying to be motivating. Exactly. But it's perceived and taken. Because I have yeah. my own, you know, insecurities and whatever. But see, there's so much complication in perception. But if you simplify it down to this just has to be done because it's the right thing to do. Period. For everyone, even if you weigh 120 pounds, you should eat healthy and you should exercise regularly. Yeah. There's, that's it. Yeah. That actually reminds me when, when Aaron was first here giving a presentation about, um, I can't remember exactly how you presented it, but it was just like knowing your clients and how to compliment them and what, 
they receive his compliments and with oh, yeah, putting uh, and some people don't like the spotlight and some people do and right um and that I hadn't really thought about it like that mm-hmm. before and it, mm-hmm. I remember asking you what how do you approach mm-hmm. it and um, yeah yeah, yeah I, it becomes really personal on what's going to be helpful for someone or not and I think we live in a society that's obsessed with size weight weight loss at any cost even over and above health and well being and I think. People come through that lens, and it's not with malintent. It's with, because it's our messaging, it's our training, it's our programming. And so, when it comes to the support that we get at home, um, you know, it, it comes with from this place of trying to be uh, supportive and nurturing and loving, but it can be missing it by so much, missing the mark. So that's where we it becomes really important to understand what's helpful and what's not, and then how we can coach those people in our lives to. Oh, what you know yeah monitoring my food intake probably not helpful um you know commenting on my size and how many how much weight did you lose you know those questions not helpful typically for for many people but for some people that's where it's individual it's like yeah, that is helpful i want you to comment on my weight loss because i'm working hard to do this but you know it's it's subjective it's individual that's why that person has to be very aware of what is and is not helpful and then to coach those people around them i remember one suggestion you gave, or one example I think you gave is something that you actually did was you commented on how glowing or unhappy someone looked. Yeah, because yeah. in these centers, when some people come back, and if you've noticed, we notice people, right? We, we notice, we assess, and, you know, unfortunately, um, many people judge based on size, and there's, you know, as a therapist, you never know what's going on in somebody's life. Irrelevant of size, size is just one factor to someone's experience in this life but we live in a culture again that's just so focused on that but but yeah I think so when people come especially when they come back here no matter what body they're in you know larger smaller same you know it's for me personally I I know that I don't want to comment on their size because for me that's irrelevant I'm I'm curious as how they're doing are they happy are they living a high quality of life are they you know do they have healthy habits at home are they Realizing what they wanted to realize, you know, the last time they were here, if they're a returnee. Um, so it's those are the those are the pieces that are important. So, but sometimes I've had where a client is, they're insulted if I don't comment on their weight loss. But so I have to explain, look, look, you know, I, you know, congratulations, I'm happy for you, but how are you doing? Are you, you know, so I just want to help them shift to to that other piece and not to negate the this important piece because it can be liberating be freeing based on what they can do that they couldn't do before um but it is very very personal yeah. can you take that hike all the way to the top yeah 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 and you were even commenting on that the other day too you you said if for some reason the universe just said i'm going to stop losing weight but i can keep doing these things then so be it yeah i'm happy doing these 100%. things 100 yeah. uh, that and that is one of the main perception changes that occurred that contributed to my success was that I really focused on fitness, not numbers and weight loss. I just logically assumed that if I'm going to focus on fitness, then I must lose weight somehow, right? And so it just became more important to me to run longer, have better cardio endurance, because that's the thing that prompted me to do this. It wasn't my looks anymore. That, to me, was kind of like, that ship has sailed, you know? But I can still, you know, renew my physical abilities. And so 
to compensate for not being able to walk a minute, I was like, I want to be able to run a mile, you know, so like that. And that's what kept me going when the scale didn't even, you know, the scale never even disappointed me, to be perfectly honest. But even when you are succeeding, you get so hard on yourself that it's like, oh, I lost three. I could have lost five, you know, yeah. <laughs> literally. So you really have to kind of rein it in or else it really gets you know, overwhelming, and then you become anxious, and then you have a negative association with it, because that's what happened before, Mm -hmm. that I started having a really negative association with exercise, because that's, that literally means failure, because I'm bad at that, Mm -hmm. so let's avoid that, (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think the typical sort of thought process with, with weight management, weight loss is, to identify how much weight needs to be lost and then develop a plan to lose the weight, often without any regard to whether it's healthy or sustainable, but it's about the pounds. And it sounds to me like what you've done is that you said, I want to make these behavioral changes and let those behavioral changes drive whatever weight that I lose. So it's about the changes and the weight loss is a byproduct rather than the weight, and I'm going to change my behavior accordingly. And exactly what a great right. message that is. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. And, and that's why I have a lot of issue with the surgery, because I feel like it leaves you lost. It's even cruel, because you just took somebody that has been relying on food and obviously has a, a lot of issues with that, with that substance, food, right? And then you just made it physically dangerous for them to, to consume it with no tools you know so then what are they what are they supposed to do yeah I think that that becomes certainly tricky ground and I think from our experience it becomes so personal and I I used to think that way as well and then I've worked with folks where they've tried for so long for so long um, to to manage what they feel is unmanageable and for them that ended up being the ticket out and I think that that's where it becomes so personal to, you know, with regard to what's going to help to bridge that gap. You talked about this yesterday, how to help bridge that gap between inside and action with, with self-care, you know, and I think sometimes people need that extra something, but I, I totally see where you're coming from on that. And I think for you, you know that would have been just exactly. not the answer. Right. So it it can be the answer yeah. for some people, yeah. and everybody is completely individual. Right. So I'm not trying to say that you know, surgery is a bad option for everyone, but because I personally right. had a food addiction, mm-hmm. and I would say that anybody else who has a food addiction should be careful. Agreed. You know? Agreed. But again, yeah. like medication, right? You know, sometimes this is the, the mm-hmm. key to unlock right. the door for the rest of the good stuff to come in. Right. You still have to do the work yeah. afterwards no matter <laughs> yeah. what. You can't you know? avoid it. Exactly. Yeah. So, But if that's what it takes to kind yeah. of... Make, let that be possible, wonderful. Exactly, yeah. and you make a very valid point when it comes to that. The relationship with food, that's going to be highly dependent upon if that's exactly. the surgical part is the right choice or not. Agreed. So. I want to come back to the food addiction in, sure. in just a second. Yeah. But while it's on my mind, it, while you were talking and sharing how you shifted your focus to fitness, it, it dawned on me that uh, one of the things we talk about here about goal setting is to focus more on action-oriented things than result-oriented things. Um, and it just hit me that when, when you typically when you make a fitness goal, it's inherently action-based. 
it's it's very rarely a result. I mean, it's very rarely that you you have to focus on action and fitness. Exactly. You you can't focus on just results. But with with weight loss uh, as the is typically a results oriented goal. And when you just dwell on results, it it's almost paralyzing. But when you dwell on action, the results will follow. No, I, I yeah. know exactly what you mean. So yeah. to to that end, it's like. Okay, I'm going to do 100 crunches, not because that exactly means I'm going to lose, you know, three pounds around my stomach and look such and such way. It's because, oh, that means I've increased my core strength and I'm going to do a better push-up and a better this move. and that. Right. You know, so it, it is all based on how much more activity you can do. And I, that's exactly what it is yeah. because when I said I want to run a mile quicker, I didn't say I want to run a mile quicker because that probably means I'll lose more weight. Like Bob said, I completely focused on the action and just logically had to trust <laughs> that the weight loss would occur as a byproduct. Because yeah. how could it not? Like physiologically speaking, am I yeah. right? So, yeah, yeah. okay. That I had to trust that. Right. And the other interesting byproduct <laughs> is you can climb mountains. <laughs> that's right. And travel around right. the world. Yes. You can do oh, yeah, things. Despite. <laughs> So that's the, the so yeah. I think the point is that it's it sounds like for many and I, and those that I've talked to it's about the weight but again it's it hasn't been and no. although that's important it's an important byproduct sure. and it has health implications sure. it's about how your fitness allows you to live a higher quality of life yeah. that's an exciting thing to me yeah, yeah absolutely I could have lost 170 pounds just by curtailing my food. And it would have worked, and I would have lost the weight 100%. But I would have been nowhere near how fit I am now. But that the whole focus from the beginning was, you better take this body and undo as much of what you have just done to it, you know? As much as you can. Because it wasn't fair what you did. And I'm so blessed and grateful that I was able to. I'm just so blessed because sometimes... You make a mistake, and it's very hard to come back from it. But this one is totally reversible, so I'm very happy about it. So now I want to come back to the food addiction. Sure. You talk about having identified one of your issues yes. as being food addiction. Can you elaborate on what food addiction means? You know what? Super simple, okay? Addiction in general. You identify a behavior that is leading to undesirable results, and you keep doing it. Simple as that. Does that, it doesn't make logical sense. If you know something is bad, why would you keep going back to it? And then, as the sicker you become and the deeper the level of addiction, you can create an entire backstory for why you are continuing to do these bad things. And in the end, the results keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse. That's why the end of that road is death or rock bottom. That's it. You have to get so low, there's nowhere to go but up. And that's a painful journey itself. I mean, I, don't, I hope nobody thinks that, you know, people are just giggling while, you know, shoveling food in their mouth. You know, it, it, they're just as miserable as the person putting the needle in their arm. It, when it gets to that level. You know, when it gets to that level, right? But that's just simply what I just said. Why do I keep doing this? And then you, re you recognize, I'm feeling guilty. I'm feeling ashamed. I feel this and I feel that. Oh my God, all of this is about food? Like, it, it just becomes so crazy. And then you come to this terrifying realization that you have to eat every
every day. What do you do? What, you know, an, an addict has a problem making decisions towards their substance. You know, that's why you don't tell an alcoholic, look, you got the Coca-Cola or you got the beer. Which one are you going to choose? Like, that's mean. They are going to choose the beer because that's their problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah? yeah? So, but I have to eat every day and make a choice. So this is the techniques that I have been working on to help food addicts because it is a unique addiction in which you have to face your substance every day. So you have to kind of take that food and make it as neutral as possible. It is fuel. It is a, a thing, a protein, a carb, a fat. That's it. It's not some craving-based, you know, I can't wait to taste this thing. It's whatever it is. It's you have to healthy. shift your perception. Yeah, no, yeah, you can't. You have to take away the choice out of it because you're going to probably make a bad choice. And that's no offense to you. That I, I, It was very hard for me to ex- accept that, you know, because I, I know stuff, <coughs> whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But I am so weak when it comes to that, unfortunately. And so I have to follow those steps every day and take the choice out of it, neutralize food. It is set. The more you can pre-plan and write things down and face yourself every single day with every morsel that goes into your mouth, good or bad, you have to keep this up. Just like any other addict has to continue their sobriety every day. So that's how it is for me. So I think the other interesting thing is that I, I think when people think about addiction, it's it's almost solely about abstinence. And the yeah. thing that you just mentioned that's really kind of interesting because is that really, although you view it as a food addiction, you're actually using behavioral strategies to help manage them. So, so pre-planning and writing things down and thinking about the consequences and thinking about the benefits are all part of that. They're not inconsistent. Um, it's not just about you can't eat that anymore. No. It's how, how can you manage that? Exactly. You, can't, you don't want to make yourself feel deprived or restricted. You know, you have, the, the mind gets very panicky when you put it in that position. This is all a choice. You know, when someone's like, hey, can you even eat this pasta? Or can you even eat this, whatever? I'm, I can eat whatever I want. I gave the guy with the gun the day off. You know what I mean? Like, come on, guys. I, you know, I can eat whatever I want. But I'm proud to say that I want to choose this item over the other because it's the better thing for me. But this is something that comes after a lot of introspection and digging deep and, you know, coming to terms with how bad it is, you know, and just announcing it at some points, you know, at certain functions, certain situations, it's okay. It's all right. You've, uh, You've done incredibly well, obviously. Um, there's lots of challenges along the way. We've met your brother, great guy. How, how important was support from, from people like your brother versus the challenges of people who were seeing you change? How did that all kind of play out? Okay, uh, well, this journey is your own, even with the most supportive, loving people on earth, which I have... You know, many of those, the two most are my mother and my brother, okay? And those people love me unconditionally, okay? And they watched me eat whatever I wanted 
and eat with them and continue to gain weight. And th this is not because they didn't love me. They love me so much. But that's what happens when you have an addict. The people that love you, are they just don't know what to do. And so they can start enabling you, but they don't mean to do so. Okay? So even after my perception changed and everything else, they continue to love me no matter what. But they have their own things going on. It's not their responsibility to be perfect for me. Everybody has to carry their own weight and love one another for sure, but encourage, you know, we all have to encourage ourselves individually to, to find our own thing. Because in the end, like, however healthy I am and fit I am, as much as my mother loves me to death, it benefits me the most. I am the one who gets to reap that benefit. Right? So all of this is to say that even among those that love you and those that criticize you, you have to just kind of block it all away to a level. Because even those that love you can disappoint you. You can't let that, that's the danger of like being kind of dependent or tying your success with some other thing, whatever that is. Whether it's numbers on the scale, a comment from a friend, uh, you know, a size changing in the dressing room, that you cannot do that. It's just got to be that way because that's the right thing to do. It's like foolproof because I tried to. <laughs> don't, don't find the loopholes. <laughs> I want to kind of bring this a little bit to Aaron and say, ask, how does the food addiction overlap or relate to the, uh, the approach that you take with eating disorders or, mm -hmm. or with, with that realm? How do those relate and overlap? Well, I find with food addiction, you know, I think if that helps someone to invite a sense of compassion and understanding into the relationship with food, then then um, it's crucial, you know, and I think that there is this very real experience, as you so eloquently described, you know, and I've worked with so many folks over the years, and it's in my distant past, but I have my own experience with feeling like I'm addicted to food, and so... Um, I get it, and I get it from a personal standpoint and a professional standpoint, that when you are around something and you feel like you have no control and you're aware of what's going in, you're like, whatever. <laughs> it's not even rational thought, it's more visceral. And so when you have that awareness, it's, um, you know, it, that shame and that guilt that can come in and it just feels like, gosh, I'm, I'm screwed, you know, when it comes to this. But, but really what it is is about, you mentioned the... Um, no matter how we label it and what we, what we identify with, it's really about finding our own intrinsic motivation around what's, why is this important to me now? And, and you mentioned, and the, the external, the extrinsic, someone else wanting it for me, nope, not going to work. Um, you know, uh, the, definitely the, the numbers, the data isn't going to necessarily drive us to that point. It gets us maybe just a teeny, teeny bit far in the beginning, but it doesn't keep us in there. Um, but with this piece, it's really about, again, goes back to readiness and, and really understanding, well, why do I want this now for myself? And again, the pain of staying the same has to outweigh the pain of change. And even with this relationship with food, no matter, how, no matter what we hang our hat on, compulsive overeating, emotional overeating, binge eating, binge eating disorder, food addiction, it's all on that same spectrum of, well, what's going to help me to bridge that gap between insight and action with self I choose self-care. I choose self-care. So when you talk, and I, I hear that over and over, that was the theme for you, is the theme is I choose self-care. And that was, 
and my task is still, I practice it still, obviously, but you know, but it's work. It is a choice that you make every day, but doesn't that voice doesn't completely go away. Um, it kind of taps you on the shoulder, and it's like, hello, I'm still here. It's like a friend. And sometimes for some people, it's, a, it's their primary relationship and connection, and, and um, it's reliable. They don't talk back. <laughs> it's very much... Oh, are you talking about my boyfriend? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I should say he's my ex. Yeah. We had a very crazy relationship. You knew him? Oh, we're going to talk after. Yeah, yeah, no, but you know yeah. what's funny? I, and I've said this a lot to many clients. Um, people think happiness is effortless, but it couldn't be further than the truth. Mm -hmm. And then the problem is that people equate effort with negativity. Mm -hmm. Like putting in effort must be something hard or bad. But it's that's not it at all. Perception. So being happy is an active choice every moment of the day. And you can choose to be happy or choose to not be happy. And sometimes there is an issue going on that, you know, is affecting that choice, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's the choice is removed from you and we have chemical imbalance and, right. you know, issues with depression and so right. on. But when you find your way in order to continue and sustain, right? Right. This is what it is every single day. It's like a reset, and we're doing it today. And that's that awareness piece. I think we can't shift or change what we're not aware of. Yeah. So we have to really just cultivate that awareness in body and mind, and that's so key. So going back to Bob referencing, you were able. This fitness allowed you to go on this new trip. Mm. Um, you traveled for what a month? Is that yeah. right? Yeah. You, yeah. And you went to all. Several countries mm -hmm. in Europe, um, and uh, what I'm wondering is, what was, and I'm sure a lot of others are wondering as well, what was your nutritional, physical, and emotional strategy throughout this vacation? Okay, I knew right off the bat that I was going to do a lot of walking and physical movement in terms of just cardio, active, whatever. And then additional to that, I made sure to book a 14-mile <laughs> Peaceful bike ride is what they say. Country sunset bike ride. Oh, Lord. Okay, Marketing, yeah. Huh? It's like country sunset, the last sunset you might possibly see. <laughs> so, okay, just to be fit, right? You know, because I was all about, you know, doing things that I, just because I can. Why not, right? Why wouldn't I take a lovely bike ride? Okay, so this, I from the beginning, I had the physical movement piece covered. But as we know... <laughs> Food is, you know, one of the hugest percentages of weight, right? Gain loss. And I told myself this. I said, if I didn't gain any weight in 26 days in Italy and Switzerland and France, the land of bread sandwiches, then I accomplished something very amazing. Okay? So that was it. I wasn't like, I'm going to lose weight or any of this stuff. So I kept my expectations adjusted. So that's one thing, right? And then while I was there... I learned a very important lesson that has been eluding me, and it's new, so I'm you know, still working it out, but it's middle ground. I'm a very extreme person, <laughs> and it's either like, we're doing this all the way, I am the health super, you know, like, is that organic, I'll smack it out of your hand. No, um, or I'm like, let's just strain down the donuts. So I was either one of those or one of those. But then I said, Let's try <laughs> to apply. Bob, 
unwise, better, best. It's like you implanted it or something from back in 2011. And I literally just kept thinking that. And then I just kept thinking, you know, the other things that were recommended, like, okay, if you're going to have a, a sweet thing or a whatever, have it early in the day because you'll burn it through the day. You know, th things that started to apply to a normal person. Because what I realized is that I had been thinking up until that point in the context of like, you're really fat and you can't afford to do this. And it finally dawned on me while I was on my European excursion that, you know what, buddy, you did it. It's okay, you're normal. Everyone around you is eating a pastry or whatever and they got their hiking boots on. So they're gonna eat that and go for a hike. You've made it to this level, like you did it, you're good. And so that's it. So that, and, and I, again, I told myself, you're on vacation, it's okay when you go home, because normally it's like, oh, well, I just tasted this chocolate croissant, so when I get home, a dozen chocolate croissants, straight to the house, like, that's how it is, immediately. But I just didn't do that. I had to be ready, super duper ready, and have a lot of tests throughout the way, and kind of ease into it very, very slowly, and all that, but... I'm very proud of my middle ground yeah, that I achieved. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, that's music to my ears. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, for, for a lot of this talk, we were talking about physical accomplishments and physical readiness, but and we have referenced emotional readiness as well, but it sounds like this trip was really the biggest milestone about this trip was how emotionally ready you were to do something like that. Yeah, because before this, I would feel super-duper guilty if I ate something less than ideal or if I felt like I ate something more based on craving and like because I just wanted the taste rather than knowing it's like the healthier option whatever so this time I just thought to myself you know you don't need to beat yourself up it was hard in the beginning too because I had 26 days to experiment with this you know <laughs> but by the end we were just guzzling down those <laughs> pastries no problemo but before 10 a.m. And then after 10, I said, no more of this type of food. And then after that, I made, you know, better choices throughout the day. And that was just that, you know, like a normal person. You gave yourself permission. Yeah. I'm going to have these pastries. Yeah. But after 10, I'm going to follow Not, this guy. Yeah, exactly. You had control. Yeah. So I still had control, right? Mm -hmm. So that was great. And yeah, it was just slow, slow. So this is a question for both Anne and Aaron. So with fitness, at least... Maybe it's because it's my realm. I find it much easier to know when you're ready for, ready to climb a mountain. How do you know when you're emotionally ready? For, like, how do you measure that, or how do you build awareness around emotional readiness? Trial and error. I didn't know I was ready to do a cartwheel yesterday. I did. When, <laughs> I did it when you left the room. I know. As soon as I walked out, I did a cartwheel. <laughs> you know, but yeah. it's like almost like this gut feeling, and it'll come up. You know, it, it's come up before, but I didn't do it right yeah. so then I guess I wasn't ready yeah. but this time it came up and I did it yeah so I was ready it's so like it comes in waves yeah it but each does. wave is a little bigger exactly okay. perfect and so you got to just trust yourself trust yourself and if you do it and you weren't and you learn from that it's still okay yeah, still okay. it's about experimenting yeah I agree and I think that the, when you said trust yourself I think that's something that I hear a lot is People are terrified of trusting themselves because they failed themselves. Yeah. So it's like, ah, I don't know what to, to trust anymore. But then it becomes trial and error, trial and success. Just keep trying. You know, find your way.
Well, we have one more question for you, Ian. And since you're, you're our first return guest on Health Talk, actually. Oh, right. And so typically our final question is, what does health mean to you? But uh, I'm sure your the strong feelings about what it means to you haven't changed a whole lot. Well, actually, I shouldn't just make any no, assumptions. That's true. Last time you said that health meant to you treating your body with respect and allowing it to reach its fullest potential. Is that still true? Yeah, Okay. So, so then what I'd like to expand on this time is... What does it mean to treat your body with respect? Yes. I thought they were the same question at first. I was like, wait, what? But no, it's not. It's, it's, a, it's a different question. I feel like it's a little deeper. It is deeper. Yeah. You're right. Because the answer ended up being deeper. So I really, at first I was like, you know what? Just do it and go for it, you know, whatever. But then I was like, no, no, no. Really, what, what is it? And I had to, it's be patient with your body. And truly love it as if it's the only one you'll ever have, and it will love you back. That's, That's awesome. Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Well, any final comments or questions from Bob or Aaron? No, just thank you so much. Congratulations. Um, I was about to say keep up the good work. No. <laughs> it's okay Don't say keep it up, Bob. <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> no, that's a yeah. great. It's well great. done. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank so you so much. much. Thank you. Come back. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, let's do this thing. Let's do it anytime. Cool. All right. Until next time, man. Health Talk Radio, brought to you by Hilton Head Health.